Jesus, thank you so much for all of the life and light that you are bringing into our community um, through um, your teachings and through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit as we seek to love and to live like you, to obey your commands. Jesus, right now we ask that you would um, make us more aware of your presence, that we would seek your face, open our ears and our hearts and our minds to what it is you might teach us, including me today. We bless you for it in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to our series on rest. And the title of this message is Sick and Tired. No, the title of this message is Good and Tired. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be good and tired. When we talk about being tired, we talk about all sorts of things. We talk about the word for the day is exhaustipated because we're too tired to give a crap, right? Um, we will say, I'm mentally and emotionally exhausted, and I would have added physically, but I can still move my pinky, you know? Um, and of course, you always have to have a dog for those. Um, I'm so tired, I always want to take a nap tomorrow. Like, I'm already planning my nap tomorrow. Um, I want to sleep, but my brain won't stop talking to itself. Anybody so tired, you try to go to bed at night, and the brain won't shut down? Um, so my solution was always like to drop in car talk or wait, wait, don't tell me podcast because I, you know, didn't really mind if I fell asleep to those things. Um, some of you holy ones, you listen to the gospel. That's fine. Um, and then um, I'm trying to be awesome today, but I'm exhausted from being so freaking awesome yesterday. So, you know, there's just we're always talking about how exhausted we are, how tired we are. I find it coming out of my mouth all the time. How are you doing? Busy. Busy is my code word for freaked out, like totally frantic, and, and can somebody come to my house for five minutes just so I could take a shower, right? So all of those busy, exhausted, crazy things that go on in our lives, and sometimes we're just exhausted from the attempt of it all, right? It's not that it's any one particular thing, but we're just exhausted by trying to do it all. I'm often exhausted by the Christianese memes that come up on Facebook. Um, I'm just exhausted by how encouraged I should always be uh, by, you know, puppy dogs with random out-of-context verse from Jeremiah 29 about the Babylonian exile. I, that exhausts me. I'm so exhausted by this. This exhausts me. I'm exhausted by it. I don't think I'll ever get not exhausted by that. I, I'm exhausted by this little boy. He's in every meme. Have you noticed? That poor child, he's going to grow up. He's like, I was this kid that people just kept putting anything they want in front of his picture. He's, he's all over the place, always, constantly. And it's always a kitty, isn't it? It's just always, not the cat. Because the cat's not as cute. It's always a kitty that's supposed to remind us about Jesus, right? And hang in there. And I'm exhausted by all of this. So if you're exhausted by the, the Christianese, the pithy sayings, the spiritual memes, the easy answers, maybe that's what's wearisome and exhausting. And sometimes we're just so, so tired. So then somebody came up with the idea of, I know exactly why you and I are tired. We're tired because we're trying to do it all. And we're letting every, we're just saying yes. We're yes people. Christians are just saying yes all the time. We learn how to say no. So now we're just going to keep calm. We're going to have boundaries, right? So now we will be not tired anymore because we have these really strict boundaries around our lives. And you're going to say, I'm sorry, but that's my personal boundary in my personal space. And then some of us are just exhausted by keeping the boundaries. Like this cartoon, I keep my boundaries low and flimsy. Otherwise it would be just too much work to enforce them. So I have boundaries, but I'm exhausted 
to keep those boundaries in effect, and now I feel guilty about the fact that I'm not keeping my boundaries, right, because that's a thing. So now I'm like, oh, God, I really feel like I was supposed to say no, and there's supposed to yes, and there's boundary, and blah, blah. And then we have marriages that, you know, it's like, are you sure this is what they meant about healthy boundaries, right? So then we've, we've removed ourselves with our strict boundaries so far that we're not in relationship with one another anymore. And everything becomes this immediate, like, I got to be protected, and no, you can't have my cell phone, and what if you call it 16 times, and, and all of these kinds of things. As a pastor, people talk about that all the time. I've been in pastoral communities where people are like, well, you know, the people are going to just tug on you. They're just going to, and I've heard you guys say, well, I know you're busy. I'm like, you know this is my job, right? Like, I get paid to do this, and I am, this is my calling, and if you don't call on me, I don't get to live into my calling and my purpose, but you guys are all so kind, because we're the mature and older Christians here at Spark, that you don't call on me because it's a good boundary, and you respect the pastor's boundary. You know, on my business card is my cell number. That's so you call it. And guess what? No one's ever abused it. I've never had anybody. And it, listen, if it's a problem and you're a special person that'll abuse it, I'll tell you, you're abusing the cell number. Please stop. I'll block you. That's all. These will just block you. But it's never been a problem, okay? So, so when we talk about boundaries, we often find ourselves removing ourselves from life itself. And the boundary itself becomes a form of, like, narcissism, right? Like, it's all about me, and I've been really pulled on this week, so I need a spa day, and I need some pampering, and I need to take care of myself. And then this me, 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 mine, 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 I got to get mine, you fine, you get yours, but, but I need to protect my time, my life, all these other things. That becomes exhausting, doesn't it? And this is like a rat race where we're stuck all the time protecting ourselves, protecting. We don't really care about anyone else's boundaries, just our own. We're just working on all of those things. And all of this just feels exhausting. And oftentimes the people who are most weary and most exhausted are the ones that are most successful and have the most stuff. There's this great old joke. Who's more content, the man with 12 children or the man with $12 million? The man with 12 children because he doesn't want any more. <laughs> the man with $12 million will always want more, right? That's never enough. And so you don't find rest and contentment in the mind. You just keep working and working to get more and more. Ecclesiastes knows this. It says, the sleep of a laborer is sweet. Whether they eat little or much, look, they're exhausted, right? But the, as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. And sometimes it's what we have and the work that we're doing and the protections that we've built up that then we're trying to protect the protections and then we feel guilty about, and all of that, that's the weariness. That's the exhaustion. And we find ourselves stuck in this pendulum swing where we run from like living this total life of sold out service and not protecting ourselves at all and then moving on to the other side of self-care and not being involved in anyone's life or in service at all. And we just need to find that center place. Have you ever found that in your life where you've been maybe at a church where you had to serve till Jesus comes? And uh, then you've started feeling like, I'm not sure he's coming anytime soon, and I'm concerned that I'm stuck here until Jesus comes. And you felt like as soon as that church or that organization or your boss at work or whatever it was, as soon as you said yes to the project, their talons got stuck in you, and you started to feel like the lifeblood sucking out, right? And you're like, I have to get out. I have to get out. I have to get out. So then as soon as you get out, the next place you go, they're like, hey, would you like to hand out napkins? Like something easier, like, nope, can't do it, boundary. 
Because you've had this previous experience that's just derailed your trust, your faith, your, your capacity for love. Our therapist calls it compassion exhaustion. As you get to this point where you're just tapped out. And you just can't do it anymore. And so you run over to self-care and everything becomes all about you, all about me. But that also is wearisome and exhausting and tiring. And somehow we're not still getting life there. We're trying to find this middle point where there's a little bit more harmony this third way. Anyone? Yes? Anyone? And we know the sweet spot, right? We've been in it before. It's the last time you felt alive. Let's look at a text from Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44, specifically about rest. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done. They'd been very busy. No personal boundaries, doing lots of great things. And then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And the disciples are probably like, yes. Finally, I just need to rest. Quiet space, need to rest. And there are times for this, right? So they went by them, away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. This is saying something because where they're at in the Sea of Galilee, the boat ride, I can't imagine, would take longer than running on foot. But they run on foot and they beat them to the shore. So Jesus says, let's go somewhere else to rest. No, Jesus says he lands and sees the large crowd and he has compassion on them because they were sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. So Jesus sees that his disciples need rest. He tries to take them to a place where they can get rest. And then when he sees the crowds, he does not have compassion fatigue, but he says, let's help them. And he starts to teach. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away. For pity's sake, send them away. So that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Does this feel like it would have been rest? If Jesus says to you, you're tired, you haven't had a chance to eat, let's go rest and feed 5,000 people. You would think, um, that doesn't sound like the self-care I was planning, right? Right? That doesn't sound like the day at the spa that I was hoping for with Jesus. Me and Jesus, devotional time, hanging out. This sounds much more like what we idealize as rest. 
I believe that part of what is happening is not just the inconvenience of a crowd, not just the inconvenience of poor timing, but that have you ever noticed that when you're in your purpose, when you're doing the thing that gives life to others, and you can see that, when you actually get to see hungry people fed, that at the end of that day, when you fall into bed, you are exhausted, but you sleep good. You are good and tired. Have you ever had that moment where you're good and tired? You've worked all day. You've painted houses for Habitat. You've been out in the mission field. You've been serving the homeless. You've been organizing a huge event at work. You did this huge project, and it finally comes to completion. And, there's this, and you fall asleep in the bed that night, and you sleep better than you've ever slept. You're exhausted. You've worked harder than you've ever worked. You've led an Israel trip for two weeks, but you fall asleep in bed, and you're good and tired. Because you've been living into your purpose. There is this myth that self-care is the only way, it's one of the ways, the only way that we get rest. Yes, we need to do self-care, but if we go so far in that pendulum swing and lose the connection that we have to our purpose, we become focused inward. We become belly button gazers. We, we only hang out and think about how do I get mine? How do I take care of me today? We don't get to live into our larger purpose of how we are resting in the truth of Jesus in us, in our midst, what Jesus can do, the miracles he can do even when we're exhausted, and the ways in which he can feed hungry through us. And we get good and tired. Rest does not always come simply because we've had time to nap or sleep. But it's what comes from somebody who doesn't get a good night's sleep ever. Rest often comes only in our moments of purpose. When was the last time you were good and tired? Right? Physically exhausted, you thought, I just can't move enough. Maybe it was after you ran the marathon that you'd been training for for months and months and months. When was the last time you were good and tired? You had lived into your purpose, lived into a huge extreme moment, and you just kind of fell satisfied and exhausted into bed, and you didn't wake up for the full eight hours, right? Not even to pee, not even when somebody else. You just were good and tired. When was that time? And I'm sure we've all had it. I'm sure we can all remember a time when we were living into that purpose. It was exhausting, but it was good. So I'm going to give you a minute, just for a second. Don't freak out, Spark Church introverts. It's going to be all right. I'm married to an introvert, so I'll care for you. Can you turn to somebody next to you and just say, this was the last time I was good and tired? Remember, it could have been when you were in high school and you were on a mission trip. It could have been at any moment. And if you've not been good and tired yet, we'll talk about that. But can you think of a time when you lived into your purpose in such a way that you felt like you had done good work and you were tired, but you felt good? Yeah? Can you remember that time? For me, it's the Israel tours. It's exhausting, but my whole life... As a pastor particularly, as a female pastor particularly, with a gift to teach, it was very difficult for me to find places to do that. But I would step off the plane in Israel and start to teach, and I would already start to feel like square peg, square hole. 
rather than everywhere else in my life, square peg, round hole. Exhausted by the end of the time, but good and tired. Because I lived into the purpose, and I felt alive. So take a few minutes, just a couple minutes, and just see if you can recall a time when you last felt truly alive, and maybe you were also tired, but it was good and tired. And I'll give you a couple moments. You can start with, my name is, there you go. All right, did something come to mind that you hadn't remembered? Do you recall how it felt to fall asleep that night? Was it um, a good sleep? Did you feel like, I did something good today and I found some rest in that? I find this passage with Jesus so interesting because he knows they're tired. He knows they need to eat. He knows they need to rest. And I wonder if instead of seeing this as an interruption in that plan, maybe we see it as a fulfillment of that plan. That the disciples were hungry. They hadn't had any time to eat. But it says they all ate and were satisfied in the story. So that includes the disciples. They were satisfied. They ate. They were filled in that moment. How, after feeding 5,000 people, that was just the men, right? 5,000 men plus women and children. How tired do you think they were after that event? Very, very, right? Very tired? Would you be t- Those of us who serve four people at a time at a dinner table, very tired, right? So, so 5,000 plus women and children, very, very tired. But you wonder if they didn't really notice that they were sleeping on a rock. Well, actually, right afterwards, they go into a boat, and Jesus doesn't go with them, and then they're, roar, they're doing a physical exercise of rowing against the wind. So they're very tired. But there's somehow some rest that they're also finding. I just, maybe it's just the way I'm choosing to read it, but isn't it possible that in those moments of extreme exhaustion, but when we've lived into our purpose, when we've seen God do amazing things, when we ourselves, like our arms hurt, we're so tired with whatever it is that we've been doing that day, but we fall asleep and we sleep well, we're good and tired. Not sick and tired, good and tired. So did something come to mind that you hadn't thought of for a while? This was a time I felt truly alive. It's, it's a time I felt truly working and living into my purpose. Um, of doing good here on this earth, building the kingdom here. Did something come to mind? It might be at work. Hopefully you have a job where you get a tiny piece of that. You get to do something good that makes you feel fulfilled. I hope something came to mind, and, and maybe what it does is it starts to set us on a path to try to look for more of those opportunities where even if we're tired, We know that in stretching and doing that thing that Jesus may be calling us to do, we might also find some rest. Now, if you haven't had those moments and you don't know what I'm talking about, or if you've had them but you're not sure that the moment that you had is the moment you'll have again in the the future, how do we find our purpose? Where do we find this place where we can sort of live into our calling and figure out all those things? Well, we can take Myers-Briggs tests, except apparently that's not as as accepted anymore. I saw on Facebook today, so I was kind of thrilled about that because I can never remember what I am. And then, um, and I, and I'm something different every single time because I just, I can't take the test because I want to negotiate with it. And say, but in this occasion, I'd be this, and this, and this. And I'm sure that that's a thing that's tested, but it's not. Anyway, Kevin didn't believe me when I told him I couldn't take these tests. And then I took a test 
that we had to do in a counseling, in a pastoral counseling thing, and I turned it in, and the pastor's telling me back, you know, what, what he thinks I am, and the whole time Kevin's like, that's not you, that's not you. I'm like, you take the test for me, I can't do it, I told you I can't do it. Um, so, how do we find our purpose, what do we do? Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So just check that off your list, right? That's it. That's all we got to do to find purpose is prepare to lose our life for Christ and then we can find it. What does that mean? Well, we're denying ourselves, right? It's not that the first thing that we come to when somebody comes and asks me, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you the truth. When somebody comes and says, hey, I need some help, there's something about me in me that comes alive because I feel like maybe this is a moment that God's setting up where I can fulfill God's purpose in my life to help someone. Those of you who are in the care profession where you're, you're doctors or therapists or counselors or teachers or educators, those of you who are in a set purpose at work, engineers, creators, scientists, all of these things, these are things we've been created to do with purpose. And when we get our sweet spot, there's some rest to be found there. And it's often a laying down of our life. It's often a denial of ourselves that ends up being the thing that feeds us back and ends up filling us up. When I was growing up, I went to confirmation class. I was a Lutheran growing up, ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. And my sister and I, in our confirmation class, it was a three-year class because we were hardcore up in Northern California. And um, it was three years, and every Wednesday night with the pastor... And every Sunday morning with the pastor and 20 service hours a month for three years. Hardcore. And at the beginning of that seventh grade year, when we would start to prepare for confirmation, they would give us this service list and we'd think, how am I going to find 20 hours a week? I'm just a kid. No one's going to let me do anything, right? They don't let, you, they don't let 12-year-olds and 11-year-olds sign up for the soup kitchen. They just don't. Fortunately, the church kind of had a little rigged. So um, they wanted you to attend service. That counted as service hours. Cha-ching! So all of you right now would be getting service hour points, right? You're all serving the Lord right now. So I'd be like, yes, an hour and a half. I showed up early, and I handed out bulletins, and I cleaned up a little afterwards. Bam! I got my service hours. If you were, um, and you also had to take service sermon notes and turn them into the pastor afterwards. So feel free, submit your notes. (laughs) Then, also in the Lutheran Church, we had acolytes. Those who don't know what an acolyte is, it means it's a fancy, fancy word for you have to light the candles in a robe. So, you know, this this action as a little kid in the robe, just please, God, don't let me light the church on fire. Don't let me light the church on fire. Don't let me light the church on fire. And then you'd have to time with the other acolyte. There was two of us to light the candles at the same time. Anyone? Anyone know what I'm talking about? I'm the only one. Wow. And, and then you'd, yeah, and you'd look and you'd be like, oh, shoot, this one's not lighting. And it's like sweat. You know, the whole church is watching me and I can't light that one candle. Skip it, skip it, skip it, skip it. And then just move on. She's moving on. And we're trying to, oh, that counted for service hours. So if you lit the candles and you sat there for the time, that was service hours. So I could get a couple hours in. every. If you helped out in the Sunday school hour at 930 with the babies, service hours. So you could see how you could start to get a couple. So most, the church was really, this was their volunteerism program. And, uh, and they were reaping the giant rewards. 
But additionally, we'd always have a handful of hours at the end of the month where it was still like, you go over and you knock on the door and say, Mrs. David, I noticed there's weeds in your lawn. I'm sure she appreciated that. And uh, can I weed your lawn for you? Because I need these service hours. And so she'd let me, hey, I see that this person in my community always needs help bringing in their groceries. Can I help? Can I babysit you? Babysit your kids for free. You can't pay me. I have to do it service hours. Now, I bet nine out of ten people in my confirmation class were fudging their hours. I bet their parents were saying, yeah, yeah, fine, just turn it in and go because it's confirmation and your grandparents want to watch it, you know, so go and do that. But my sister and I took it really seriously. And both of us would say that this started us into a life of service because at the end of the three years, honestly, I would sit down at the end of the month and think, what did I do this month? Oh, yeah, and I just start to list all the ways that I had been able to serve in my own home, with my own family, in my own church, in my own neighborhood, at school, whatever it was. And I always had more than 20 hours because it had become a habit. And I felt like I had purpose in my community. I felt like my community needed me, that they wanted me, that I could make a difference. When I helped that kid that was crying stop crying and I helped the parents be able to go, I felt like I was in my sweet spot. And when I lift, you know, went and extended myself to the convalescent home and I got to visit with somebody that was lonely, I felt good and tired at the end of that day. I was living into purpose. And I really, truly believe that as we all sit down and we all talk about this, and Pastor Mark and I lament about this always because he grew up Catholic and I grew up Lutheran, so we have these really sort of strict ways of growing up. We feel like it shaped us in some very good ways. Be prepared for a confirmation class to be five years at Spark. Just joking. Um, We often meet people in this generation, this generation often called the me, me, me generation, right? That, that are so prone to navel-gazing that they've lost all feeling of purpose and connection to their community because they're not good for anything. And we've done a disservice to them because we've not allowed them to start to live into their giftedness, to live into the extension of what it is that they can do, that we can do together to see more good here on earth, more of God's rule and reign, more of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So how do we find purpose? We serve. We do Habitat for Humanity. We find the soup kitchen. We go to work and we do a good job at work. And we serve the difficult boss that we don't want to serve. And we do it because we know at the end of the day we can hear from our Messiah, well done, good and faithful servant. We find the ways to love others, right? We extend every moment in our life to love another. You know where you do good? When you extend humanity to another person at the coffee shop, at Whole Foods, wherever it is. I was at Whole Foods the other day, and there was a special needs individual who is a very loud talker. And the loud talker gentleman, I found out his name within two seconds, was sort of shouting and talking to all of the employees around here. And the employee on the other end of the coffee uh, area of Whole Foods was kind okay, inside voice, inside voice, and kept trying to talk and help him sort of calm down. And he was just visiting. And I'm, I'm smiling and looking, and, you know, it's not doesn't bother me at all. And, and the gentleman says to me after, after this, the special needs gentleman walked away, he says, I'm really sorry if he disturbed you. And I went, disturbed me? 
Thank you for being kind to him. Thank you for knowing his name. Thank you for extending humanity to this individual. And I'm looking at the coffee guy and saying this to him. I'm saying, thank you. He probably thinks, what a nut, right? She needs less caffeine. But I'm having this pastoral moment where I'm like, thank you for being human. You did a good thing. And I'm starting to like cry. Thank you for loving this gentleman and not kicking him out of the store. And I turned to the guy at the coffee and said, he's someone's child. And those parents somewhere, I pray, are going, I just pray somebody's nice and kind to my kid today. You don't have to do great. We don't have to go all the way to Habitat for Humanity. We can go to our homes. We can go to our workplaces. We can go to the coffee shop. We can go to Whole Foods. We can be kind to everyone and start to live into our purpose of communicating the love of Jesus to everyone we meet. We can start to deny ourselves and lay down our lives for one another. I have a friend the other day, and she says to me, oh, I have this coffee coupon for Pete's, and you should take it. I was like, no, no, I'm not going to take it. And she, I I don't need it. I I can pay for my own coffee. She's trying to push on me, push on me. I said, listen, hand it to the person behind you. Just try that. She was like, I don't do that. She's not a Christian. I'm just saying, she's not, but that's not why. She's a very loving individual. She's like, I just just wouldn't do that. I said, try it. So this next week, she tried it. She came back and she's like, it was so fun. I'm like, yes. She's like, I would have never done that if you hadn't told me to do it. And I just turned and I handed it to somebody and they loved it. And I'm like, and it made their day. Lay it down. Live into the purpose that you and I are here to do good things. And at the end of the day, God willing, we'll find ourselves good and tired. And in our service, in our laying down of our lives, we will find rest. The culture will tell you, you will only rest when you care for yourself. You're only going to rest after you get a good massage, a good mani-pedi, a good run all by yourself, you know, time by yourself, no kids. No, Yes, there is rest to be found there, and there are times for that, and I'm not down. But if you only do that, if that's your only swing of the pendulum, and you don't live in the middle, where you reach towards extending towards one another and self-care, love your neighbor as yourself, As we find that balance, we find some rest, and we start to do good things. A year ago, I was at the High Holy Days service with Rabbi Ari, and he invited all the kids forward to see the Torah. And they're all up there for it. He lets them ask any questions. You know, why is it like this, and how come this is the letter, and how come we have to use these things? He's asking questions. This one little girl goes, Rabbi, 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 why are we here? Now, I I think she was probably saying, how come I'm not back in the row with my parents, and why am I up here on this thing? But he took it as, why are we here? The big existential question, right? (laughs) And he looked at her, and he said, we are here to do good work. I was like, yes, for we are God's workmanship, created to do good works. Rabbi Ari didn't know he was quoting Paul, but I'm telling him, he's quoting Paul. We are here to do good works. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. The rest comes after the good work. Remember how many times God is constantly saying throughout all of Genesis 1 and 2, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And it's work. It's good and it's work. And then there's rest. And I don't think, listen, anyone here really think God was tired 
right? Is that what it's talking about? Like God's like, oh man, I'm stretching my God muscles all day. Whoo, need a massage. This, I was doing a lot of this. I got a crank, I got a carpal tunnel from the pointing. Light, dark, separate, you know, there's like this action. Is God exhausted? He's like, whew, six days, man, that was hard. I'm just going to have to do some self-care now, right? I know it's that it was good that he's good and tired, right? Like there's, there's something in the goodness of the creation that allows for the rest. The purpose of the creation has been complete, so then we rest. So as we talk about rest, and we went on a retreat last weekend, and we programmed rest, didn't we? We gave you nap time. We gave you play time. We even told you, Mark Iaconelli told you, you'd get spiritual brownie points if you took a nap. He said, do the thing that you're already doing that gives you life and call that spiritual, right? We made it the most restful. I got, this was in some of the evaluations. It was the most restful retreat I'd ever been on in my entire life. I'm used to retreats where I like do 16,000 things and go and do this and you have to do this and Jesus needs you to do this and this and that and this. this. And they, so we program rest at Spark. We want to rest, right? But there's also now the pendulum swing of serve. Because I'm telling you, you won't find the good and tired until you serve. You won't and I won't get to rest until we get to live into our purpose and we're not sick and tired at the end of the day, but we're good and tired at the end of the day because we have done it. We have done the work God called us to do that day. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you, Lord, so much for calling us to be partners with you in your creation. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to serve the hungry, to feed those who are in need. Thank you, Lord, for not dismissing the needs of the 5,000 plus, for the needs of the 12. That the 12, those of us following you, Jesus, that we get to even see what it means to be good and tired at the end of a long day. Thank you for allowing us to be your partners in good works here on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to see a little more of your kingdom breakthrough. And may this week, may we all rest in the goodness of what we are able to do in your name, by your grace alone, by the power of your spirit. Amen.